Rots a righteousness tends to belong So keep your love on, on Welcome to the Get Your Love On podcast. This show is dedicated to the family of faith around the globe. In each episode, we punt phony religion and we learn how to simply walk with God every day. It's straightforward and it's straight from the word. We have free resources for you at getyourloveon.org that includes free Bible studies and videos to answer your questions and build your faith. And of course, we'd love to hear from you. You can always reach out and contact us at getyourloveon.org. We have an amazing episode for you, so let's go. Keep your love on, child. Let it shine bright. The Lord was showing me this whole week, you know, there's there's great damage being done through doubt. And the way to combat doubt is with faith. But faith and doubt don't mix. So the only way to actually build our faith is specifically to eliminate that doubt, el- reject that doubt. And reject that unbelief that that can muddy those waters. Let's clarify what the Lord has for each one of us. And we do that through his word. We keep a book simple here on this radio show. We always have. We always will. Because God's word is our, it is the lifeblood. But it's the way we build our faith. Mainly faith. We have two featured ministers that are just incredible and you'll want to stay to the very end uh, because your faith is going to be so large. It'll change lives because that's what faith is meant to do. It's meant to be so huge, so grand that it can change lives by the touch of a hand, that it can heal decades of abuse and wounds and torment by a word. That's how big our faith is. And if you stay to the end, your faith will get that huge also. So let's let's get it let's get into the word. We're going to start in James chapter 1 verse 2. And again, faith and doubt do not mix. One actually destroys the other. So, we have an option. We can allow doubt to destroy faith or we can use our faith to destroy doubt. So let's hear what James chapter 1 verse 2 says. It says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. That word trying means to prove. It's a test. So as our faith is tested, it's working patience. Well, in another place, it says, In your patience possess ye your soul. So by working our faith, It develops that patience, which is the very key to understanding our soul, our relationship with God, and and most importantly, the value of our eternal soul. And when we understand that, and we've taught on that before on this radio show, so go to the show archives, but when when we understand the value of our soul, it is, it's such an incredible driving force in our life to preserve our soul, to protect one another, to protect those in our lives that the Lord gives us. So the trying of our faith, it it works that patience. It gives us that patience, which helps us understand how important we are in God's eyes. It's 
wonderful. Verse 4 goes even further about patience, too. It says, But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. So as we look at these diverse temptations, as these different challenges in our lives, whatever it looks like, whatever it looks like, it's diverse. It looks different for each person. But as we take joy knowing that the Lord's doing something incredible through these challenges, we allow patience to have her perfect work. That word perfect means completeness of full age. So God doesn't do anything partially. He does everything perfectly. And so as we allow that patience in our own lives, we won't rush God's work. We won't think, oh, well, clearly God's not going to do something because he hasn't done it yet. That won't even pop into our head. We'll say, well, I know God is only righteous. I know God is not a man that he can lie. And I know he promised me this would happen. So I'm going to stand in faith. I'm going to allow patience to have her perfect work. And I'm going to know I will want nothing when all these works are finished because we will be complete. We will be perfect and entire. And I, when, when we've allowed that process of God in our life, once he brings that full solution to pass, you're going to rejoice so immensely that you didn't settle for anything less than everything God has for you. So be patient. And again, the trying of our faith is what works that patience. That's why we get to be joyful as we go through these challenges. That's the word of God. And it also says in verse 5, we're in James chapter 1. In verse 5, it says, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. Isn't that wonderful? If there are some struggles going through certain challenges and, and, and you feel like, well, Lord, I really don't understand what's happening right now. None of this makes sense. Just get some quiet time before him and ask him. That's what it says right here. If any of you lack wisdom, and that word wisdom means it's a very broad term of knowledge and intelligence. It's a very broad term in this context. Because if there's anything that we are encountering, whether it's in our workplace, in our relationships with our significant other or our family members, if, if we're feeling like we don't have answers, the Lord says, ask, the word says, ask of him, ask of God. He gives to men liberally. He won't, he won't put you down for asking for that wisdom. He won't diminish you. He expects us to ask of it so that he can give to us liberally, so that we can see, oh, wow, when I ask of God, he gives to me in abundance. So if we're going through these challenges, we get to be patient in it. We get to be joyful in it because we get to rely on the truth of God's word. And it says then in verse six, here's the kicker. Here's the kicker, my friends. This is awesome. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For the he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. Let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. I love the totality of God. I love it. 
nothing wavering. Well, how do we get there? How do we get to nothing wavering that we can ask anything, asking in faith, asking anything in faith, nothing wavering? How do we get there? It's by the trying of our faith. It's by that that testing and that proving out that, yes, our faith is righteous, that God is righteous. And then as we understand that and we will automatically seek God even more, we'll want to understand his ways even more. And I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but I can give you a hint. Doubtful thoughts. Doubt does not understand God's ways. Faith does because faith seeks God. So faith will always say, well, Lord, my natural mind doesn't understand this, but I want to know how you see it. That's faith. Lord, I want to know how you're working through these matters. That's faith. Doubt is, I don't get it. I can't understand it. That's doubt. You see the difference? So as we walk in faith, we will stand in our faith and nothing will waver because God never wavers. We'll stand in our faith in God. God never wavers. God is only righteous. He knows what he's capable of. So why would he ever waver? <laughs> why would He knows exactly what he's capable of. Um, any beautiful thing you've ever seen in your life, the most beautiful thing, the most spectacular thing you've ever seen in your life, the most incredible joy you've ever, ever in, enjoyed in your life. That's, that's a small taste of what God can do. God knows the totality of what he can do. So he's never wavering. So when we ask in faith, we'll seek God's mind and we won't waver either. Nothing wavering. Because as it mentions, well, he that wavers, he's like a wave of the sea that's driven with the wind and just tossed around. And it says in verse, that was verse six, excuse me, verse seven, it says, for let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. So we have option one in front of us. And again, I love the word of God. It's so simple and clear. We have option one, get tossed around and waver. Have you ever been tossed in a wave? Have you ever been in the ocean? When waves just keep pummeling you, it's not pleasant at all. And it, it some you don't know where, it's, where up or down is. If a, if a wave gets you and it starts spinning you underwater, it's very disconcerting. And that's what it's like to have doubt in our lives. That's what it feels like when you can't stand in true faith. It feels like you're getting bat around like a ping pong ball getting tossed around by wind and water and waves. So that's one. That's option one. The word's very clear. We have two options here. One, get tossed around. Two, believe God, ask in faith, and receive of God. (laughs) And guess what else we're going to learn in the word here? When we do that, we actually get to do the tossing. We toss out doubt. We toss out of obstacles. We toss out challenges. We get to toss mountains into the sea. That's right. So there's your contrast right here in the word of God. We have one of two options. Walk in faith, stand in victory, believe God, or two, allow that wavering, allow doubt, and allow 
your life to be tossed around by any given thing. So it's pretty clear contrast. I recommend that we walk in faith. So we're going to hear from incredible ministers who've lived lives of pure faith. And so when they speak about the strength and the incredible benefits of faith, when they speak about having some endurance in your faith, they know it well. So let's listen closely and and just ask the Lord as you're tuning in right now, Lord, I want to get this for my own life. Show me how. And again, at our website, getyourloveon.org, we have some beautiful instruction, deeper teachings, deeper Bible studies, some wonderful YouTube videos. And of course, you can always reach out to us and contact us with any of your questions. We want you to be able to stand in true faith. We want us all to stand in true faith, nothing wavering. So let's hear what Christ had to say about it. Let's hear about what our faith offers us. In Mark 11, it says, we'll go to verse 22. It says, And Jesus answered, saying unto them, Have faith in God. (laughs) Thanks, Lord. Thank you for that simple message. Have faith in God and God alone. It says, verse 23, For verily I say unto you, that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he said shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. Therefore I say unto you, what things soever you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you shall receive them. Isn't that a beautiful promise? And it's perfectly, that's why James in chapter one could make those proclamations that when we stand in faith, nothing wavering, we will be able to get through anything and everything as we stand in faith, nothing wavering. Now, isn't it interesting too, that Christ doesn't outline how much doubt might be allowable and still receive from God. It says, and he shall not doubt in his heart. No doubt. I'm going to say that one more time. No doubt in our hearts allows our faith to be 100% accomplished by God Almighty. Think about that. (laughs) No doubt. So simple. Okay, let's remove all doubt. We're going to get to how here. And the number one way to remove all doubt, it's very simple, build your faith. And how do we build our faith? It's by hearing the word of God. So thank you again for taking this time with us today. Thank you for taking this time to be part of this show and to learn of God. It's so precious and it's so wonderful. And as more and more of us stand in our great faith and help one another stand in great faith, then then God will just whoosh across this land. Great healing, mighty miracles, and mighty, mighty victories by him. So that all men will marvel and say, wow, that is the God. That is God Almighty on display right there. It's awesome. It also, um, it's interesting too how Christ points out that this doubt, it's a matter of the heart. So... 
we that people might pray out loud and proclaim healings and victories out loud. But what the heart is saying is between each individual soul and God Almighty. So again, it's a matter of the heart. We eradicate doubt from our own hearts, our own minds. And as we do that, as we disallow any and all doubt, then boom, when we pray, we'll expect God to fully accomplish those prayers. It's very simple. There's a lot of so-called Christians and there's a lot of good-hearted Christians that are saying the, quote, right thing, but they haven't fully been converted to the true faith of Jesus Christ in Nazareth. They haven't had those trials of faith and, and are maybe a little bit wavering. Good news is God knows. God knows. And it's for each one of us to examine ourselves, whether be, we be in the faith. And again, we get to build our faith reject doubt, and move forward with God. Press towards that mark of the high calling of Jesus Christ. Sounds like it takes intentional effort. And my beloved friends, it does. It's a choice we make every single day. Allow the doubt, build our faith. One or the other. So let's continue to build our faith. And again, we have exceptional messages to help us today. So I hope you stay till the very end. It's just wonderful. God only does wondrous things. So we're going to hear from uh, apostles, true apostles on faith, how to build our faith, and some of the most precious examples of faith in the word. So I wanted to take this opportunity to spend a little bit of time studying out doubt and learning what doubt sounds like, how it talks, how to immediately recognize it and reject it so that we can move forward and build our faith. And the number one thing doubt always does, doubt's very short-sighted and it's very tunnel vision. It's like, it's very, it can only see one little piece of the puzzle and it tries to shift the focus from God's big picture. God's eternally big. God is always looking at the big, 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 big picture. And as we seek God, we'll gain that too. But doubt wants to shift focus to the temporary, and to the, to the very small. So you'll notice that. That's how doubt works. So let's go to Luke 4. We'll start in verse 3. It says, And the devil said unto him, this is one example of how doubt works and how it talks. And the devil said unto him, this is speaking of Christ. Christ was coming off a 40-day fast and was taken up in the, into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. It says, If thou be the Son of God, Command this stone that it be made bread. And Jesus answered him, saying, It is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Now, this is really interesting because there's no way that Satan didn't know exactly who he was talking to. So why did he start the, the sentence by, If thou be the Son of God? Satan knew exactly who he was talking to. And, and Satan knows exactly who he's talking to when he tries to give to present doubt to us he knows that we are the sons and daughters of God he knows that we are the chosen elect of God he knows who we are too but this is how doubt works and this is our example so we get to learn from these scriptures doubt begins by calling into question the foundational belief that God 
is exactly who he says he is. That will always be doubt's number one mission. To call into question that God is exactly who he says he is. How do we know God? Through the word. So knowing our word is the key to dispelling doubt. Hebrews 11.6 says, But without faith it is impossible to please him, speaking of God Almighty. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So as we hear these little sparks of doubt, if thou be the Son of God, reject it and know that as we seek God, as we believe he is exactly who he says he is, the creator of all eternity, the giver of life, the rewarder of them that diligently seek him, we will stand in great faith. Now, Christ again was coming off a 40-day fast, so Satan tried to tempt him with food. (laughs) As though Christ wasn't anointed in that fast. As though Christ's faith was just sort of happenstance. And as though a piece of bread would be so interesting to a man that just came, that was just on a 40-day fast, full of the Holy Spirit. Just incredibly powerful in the Holy Spirit. That's doubt talking right there. Those who doubt, those who are led by fear, those who are tossed in all direction, they don't understand the resolute stances of righteousness. They can't. So this is the kind of thing they come up with is, whoa, you're probably hungry. Make that stone to be bread. That's all they can come up with is, again, shifting the focus from, wow, this incredible anointed fast to, oh, you're probably hungry. Nope. I live by every word that comes out of the mouth of God not just by natural means. So today, this same, st- the same uh, question that Satan posed, if thou be the son of God, make this stone into bread, might sound something like, if you have faith, pray yourself to win the lottery. Or if you believe in God, make this person fall in love with you. Or if God was going to do something, he would have done it already. Shifting focus from big picture to very narrow, very narrow and very petty prayers. That's doubt. That is doubt talking right there. So we get to reject it. How? Luke 4.4. Jesus Christ is our example. Let's use it. It is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. So let's get every word of God in us. Let's get our faith up. And just bounding out of us. And then if there are Christians and good-hearted people that have been convinced of the narrow, sad life of doubt, as we live by faith, our example will do the ministering to them. And then we get to speak in faith. We get to give them the word of God to then build their faith if they want it. Isn't that awesome? So that's how doubt talks. Takes a big, a big, big thing God's doing and tries to make it super little and small. Won't work. Not when we stand in faith. Not when we keep our eyes on God. How big is God? Keeping your eyes on him. Wow, that's an amazing thing to do because God's so huge. So as we keep our eyes on him, 
doubt can't creep in there. Doubt can't shift the focus to little itty-bitty puny things. (laughs) Nope, it won't work. We get to reject it. Now let's listen to other ways. Let's hear other ways doubt talks, dismisses God's power and authority, and again, tries to shift from God's big picture to that puny little tunnel vision. We are going to go to John 14. Let's start in verse 1. It says, let not your heart be troubled. This is Jesus Christ speaking. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And whither I go, you know, and the way you know. Christ is outlining here beautiful preparation that anyone with faith gets to just trust and rely on. And here's verse 5. This is one of the disciples, Thomas. It says, Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? That's doubt talking right there. Christ just told him very plainly, I will show you. I will show you. Trust in me. I am who I say I am. And then Jesus said in verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. See, doubt doesn't hear instruction. Doubt doesn't listen to faith because it doesn't comprehend faith. Again, doubt and faith, they can't mix. So doubt doesn't comprehend faith. It doesn't understand the instruction of God. It doesn't understand the Lord's ways. So even through these beautiful instructions with Christ, as Christ laid that out, Thomas is like, I don't get it. (laughs) Well, as we build our faith, doubt no longer becomes a part of, of our lives. As we continue to march forward and say, Lord, I want more faith. Lord, give me more, for, more faith. It's just that simple. And it's just that wonderful. So let's go to John 20 now. This is really cool. John 20. This is after Christ was resurrected and showed himself to the disciples. It says in verse 21, But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, Except I shall see in his hands the prints of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. Whoa, talk about short-sighted. Here we go, the verse 26. And after eight days again with his disciples were within, and Thomas said unto them, Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst, and said, Peace be unto you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing." And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and have yet believed. And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. 
and that believing you might have life through his name. Isn't that wonderful? So earlier we saw how Thomas, and throughout the word, there's there's another example of how Thomas's doubt disallowed him from participating in the great miracles of God. And then Christ came, and despite Thomas's doubts, Christ was very gracious. But we don't need to hold on to doubt. We don't need to listen to doubt. We don't need to entertain any doubt. We get to speak in faith, nothing wavering. So if there are those in your life who live in doubt, who don't know faith, well, just offer the simple love of Christ, just like Christ did. Offer them the evidence of Christ's resurrection power in your own life and in very personal ways. Speak in faith and watch how that not only builds your faith, but it silences the doubt in anyone's life that's around you. So if you're recently baptized, great. Speak of that newness of life. Talk about that glorious peace that fills your soul. Find how to do it in your own personality, the way the Lord shows you. That's wonderful. If you've been recently blessed of God, speak about that. How God guided you, how he strengthened you. How, you know, others may have said, oh, this is going to be so difficult. But God made it easy. Talk about that. Speak in faith. And, you know, that's how the Lord helped Thomas, by showing him that evidence. And that's how we help those in our lives as well. Once we get it for ourselves, once we stand in that faith, as we speak it out, it silences the doubt. Because, my friends, in Acts 1, Thomas was in the upper room with Peter and the rest of the apostles when the Holy Ghost was poured out upon them. So, This is why these books are written. This is why we have the word of God. This is exactly why it's for you and me, for our faith to grow and our understanding of what God's really doing to expand. We get to proclaim Christ's eternal victory and let it resonate over every hill and valley. That's our right. That's our privilege. It is up to us, though, to build our faith and to believe God and believe Christ So we have two exceptional messages to build our faith. Now that we have an understanding of how doubt talks, let's build our faith. We have a husband and wife team that, again, lived by faith and have lived by every word that you're going to hear them minister today. Our first is from our wonderful friend, Brother Bob. You've heard him here on this show many times. He's my spiritual grandfather. You're going to really enjoy this message. This was recorded a few decades ago, but you're going to just really enjoy how current it is. Here's our wonderful friend, a true apostle, my spiritual grandfather, Brother Bob. At this time, I've got a real good message for you. I'm going to contradict some of the teachings that you've been having this last few years with the Word of God today. So if you want to, get your Bible and come along with me because I don't teach anything except I have Scripture for it. And if you have Scripture for everything you say, then there's no contradiction. But I've been hearing people preach things here lately that contradicts the Word of God. Do you folks know that the Word of God does not contradict itself? I have never found a place in the Bible that contradicted itself, especially if you have the anointing of the Holy Spirit to discern the Word of the God. You know, the Word of God is spiritually discerned, not naturally discerned. So come with me now to Isaiah 52, and let's start with the fifth verse. 
I'm going to be turning to different places in the Bible today. So if you have a pencil and paper and would like to write down the scripture, you're sure welcome. Now, therefore, this is the Lord speaking. What have I here, saith the Lord, that my people is taken away for naught or being destroyed for nothing? That they that rule over them make them to howl, saith the Lord, or to be in misery. And my name continually every day is blasphemed. Now, he's talking about the leaders here of the religious world today, how they put on people and on your soul and on your mind all of their troubles and all of their woes, etc., 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 and teach you lies concerning the Word of God. Well, I heard on television here a while back on a Sunday morning broadcast, one minister got up and said, you have to have doubt before you can have faith. <laughs> I would like to challenge that minister to give me the scripture for that. Because the word doubt is only mentioned 13 times in the Bible. And all 13 times is condemned on the spot. Now, you can't mix doubt and faith. Those are two opposites. Like water and oil. They are two opposites. You can shake them together. You can put them together. You can do anything you want with water and oil. But it will not mix. And neither will doubt and faith mix. They are two absolute opposites. Jesus said, he that believeth in his heart and doubteth not shall be saved. So preacher, I am calling you a liar today because you have told millions of people a lie and they will be damned. The Bible says if you believe a lie, you'll be damned. So folks, if you believe anything from anybody, have them show you the scripture to cover their words, to approve it. There's millions of people going into the pit today and into oblivion and being cheated out of their blessings by believing religious lies. So folks, stick with me. I'm going to give you scripture for everything I say. I want you to be saved. I want you to be happy. I don't want you to be religious. Religion never saved anybody or did anybody any good. I want you to have salvation. That is the saving of the soul, and that is an experience between you and God, and that only you and God can have is salvation. Religion, anybody can have a religion. Most people have got a religion. Why, even your whores and your whoremongers have a religion. Your thieves and your liars all have a religion. But to have salvation, that takes away the thief and the liar. That does away with the whores and the whoremongers. That does away with the murderers, etc., etc., etc. Now listen to what the sixth verse says here, folks. Therefore my people shall know my name, Therefore they shall know in that day that I am he, or that I am God, that does speak. Behold, it is I. In what day? In the day that you receive the Lord as your personal Savior. By simply calling on his name, and by simply saying, Lord, here am I, accept me as I am. I come to you, I'm yours. That's how easy salvation is to acquire, folks. It doesn't cost you a dime. One place it says, ho, come and buy milk and honey, meaning salvation and the Spirit, without money. See, salvation is free. Religion costs you and costs you and costs you and costs you, and in the end costs you your soul. It's a form of worship. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him that bringeth good tidings, that publishes peace, that brings good things and good tidings of good that publishes salvation, 
that says unto Zion, thy God reigns. Isn't that something? Now let's elaborate on the seventh verse now, folks. How beautiful are the feet upon the mountains of them that bring good tidings. Today I hear preach nothing but everybody's woes. How far in debt they are and how much money they need. That isn't good tidings. <laughs> now if they would preach and say, look, I don't need any more millions, folks. I've got all I can use. God has supplied my need. Now that would be good tidings. Well, I just said it. I don't need your millions, folks. <laughs> my programs are paid for. My TV time is already paid for. God has blessed me, and I've got good tidings for you today. So relax and don't even think about money. Don't think about material. Just think about Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whose you are and whom you shall continue to serve in the beauty of holiness without money. Isn't that great? That's what the Bible says. Let me prove it to you. It says, Thy watchmen shall lift up the voice with the voice. Together shall they sing. For they shall see eye to eye when the Lord shall bring again Zion. You know, someday I'm going to have to see eye to eye with the Lord. I'm going to have to meet him face to face. And I'm not going to have to look in his eyes and say, Lord, here am I. I preached your word. What sayest thou, O God? You know what I'm going to expect him to say? Well done, thou good and serve, faithful servant. Go to my right hand over here. Stand to my right. Mm -hmm. But I'm not going to bring you any begging messages or any woes or any, anything at all. I don't have any woes. I don't have any money problems. I'm just telling you folk the truth. Uh huh. You know why? Because I believe the word like it is. Do you know Jesus and Peter one time, let me tell you about this, had a tax problem one time. And some of the Learned people of that day said to Peter, says, doesn't your master pay his tithe, his taxes? And Peter says, I think so. So he went and asked Jesus, said, Lord, do we pay our taxes? Oh, Jesus said, it's sort of slipped in mind for now. But you take a hook and you go down to the ocean and you cast that hook in. You take up the first fish that comes up, take the piece of money out of its mouth and go pay our taxes for us, Peter. He didn't even tell Peter to bait the hook. <laughs> he just told him to cast it in and there would be a fish with a chunk of money in its mouth that would come up. You know, Peter didn't only get the tax money, he got a fish dinner. Got a double blessing. That's just about where you people ought to be about right now. You ought to be right at the point of getting a double blessing today. We'll tell you how. Stay tuned. I'll show you how. <laughs> it says, break forth into joy and sing together. <laughs> how would you like to sing with me sometime? Well, some of these days I'm going to give you an address on television where you can come and sing with me and with a thousand others or maybe two thousand others. Would you like that? So sing together. Let's get joyful. Let's have a joyful salvation, not a sorrowful one, not a doleful one or a woeful one or an unbelieving one. Let's have a true singing blessing in our souls toward God. You ready? Let's go a little further. It says, ye waste places of Jerusalem, for the Lord hath comforted his people. See, God's comforting you today. He's not bugging you with some preacher's woes. He's comforting you personally. It says, he hath redeemed Jerusalem. You're part of it. The Lord hath made bare his holy arm in the eyes of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. You see, I'm bringing you salvation. I want you to have salvation. I want you to have a personal relationship 
with the Son of God, Jesus of Nazareth. Mm -hmm. I want you to hear his voice. I want you to know him personally so that when you appear before him, either now or in the hereafter, or when he comes, you won't be ashamed to look him in the face and say, hi, Lord, sure love you. Been loving you all this time. Sure appreciate what you've done for me. Be a lot better than for him to say, depart from me, you work of iniquity. I never knew you. Some religious people are going to run up to him and say, Lord, Lord, haven't I cast out devils in your name? Haven't I prophesied in your name? Haven't I done many wonderful works in your name? You know what he's going to say to them? He's going to say, depart from me, you work of iniquity. I never knew you. You never had salvation. You had religion. I honored my word through you, and that's all. But I never knew you. I just knew my word and honored my word. Mm -hmm. You've got to have that personal relationship with Jesus. Repentance, remission, and baptism. Mm -hmm. It says, depart ye, depart ye. Go out from thence. Touch no unclean thing. Go ye out of the midst of her. Be ye clean that bear the vessels of the Lord. Uh -huh. Be clean. You can be clean in a moment. As soon as Jesus forgives you, when you say, Lord, forgive me my sin, as soon as he forgives you that, you're clean. You're holy before God. All you have to do is continue on. Study and read his word and read the Ten Commandments and obey them. For ye shall not go out with haste nor go by flight, for the Lord will go before you. Now, this is a promise. God says, if you repent and trust him, he'll go before you. He goes before me. He said, and the God of Israel will be your reward. Behold, my servant shall be prudently, speaking of Jesus, he shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. And many are astonished at his vestige, for his vestige was so marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Now, each one of you is a nation, according to the word of God. For he said, the kingdom of God is within man. Once you've received the Lord and received his Holy Spirit, then his kingdom is within you. It's inside of you, and you're a nation before him. The kings shall shut their mouths at him, for that which had not been told them shall they see, and that which they had not heard shall they consider. Now let's go here to where Isaiah really got into the message. It says in the 53rd chapter of Isaiah, starting the first verse, it says, Who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Now there's two questions. I could say today, who has believed or who is believing my report? You are. Everywhere I go in this area where I, or you hear me minister, people come up to me and they let me know that they have believed my report and do believe my report. They tell me they love to hear me preach and minister out of the word because then they say, then we know it is perfect before God. Then we know exactly what to do to receive more of our Lord's Spirit. We know what to do, and we want to thank you for it. Wherever I go, it's getting to be quite a common thing now. But God loves you people. I want you to know I really love you. And it says, to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Well, it's being revealed right to you today through my voice. The arm of the Lord is reaching right down now and touching you, whether you know it or not. That invisible God is right there. He's not on the cross anymore. He overcame the cross, hell, death, and the grave. He's right there with you. It says, For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, speaking of Jesus growing up before the Father, and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor commonness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men. 
Even his so-called ministers today despise and reject his true word. Oh, they use his word and they use his name, but they still despise him because they try to mix lies with his word and it won't work. They try to say something like this, that you have to have doubt before you can have faith. No, it's against the word of God. If you have doubt, you can't have faith. Jesus still said, he that believeth and doubteth not in his heart shall be saved. So if you hear that again on television, you write to that minister and tell him he, you think he's a liar and you're not going to believe his lie. Somebody's got to correct him. I've tried for several years, but didn't do any good. Maybe if he gets many letters, he'll change his tune and start using his Bible and giving a scripture for everything he says. It says, Jesus was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, face, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs. You see, Jesus has already borne our griefs. That's why I don't get on television and lay more grief on your back, because Jesus already bore them all. You don't need them. You don't even need what you got, let alone mine, if I had any. <laughs> Amen. Come on now. Now you listen to me. I'm getting to some of you out there. I'm getting to you. Some of you think, well, he's awfully rough on preachers. So was Isaiah. He called them dirty dogs. Greedy dogs. So if some of you get uh, a little riled about that today, good. You need to get stirred up. <laughs> it says he carried our sorrows. Now what if I come on television with a long face? And oh, oh my. <laughs> I just don't know what I'm going to do. I'm three or four million behind. Behind what? Behind their own little old business. They try to make a business out of the gospel. That's why they're three or four million behind instead of making it a, a salvation uh, message like Jesus told us to do. Of course, I could go 10 or 20 million in debt. But there's always a payday. God hasn't told me to go 20 or 10 or 20 million in debt or even 100 million. He hasn't told me anything about that. Never will because it isn't Bible. He told me to do what he gave me to do with and go from day to day and take no thought of what I was going to eat, wear, say, or do. And ladies and gentlemen, my bills are always paid. I'm still here and I'm happy. I haven't got any woes on my back. I haven't got any problems. I take mine to the Lord and leave him there. Let's get a little further here. It says, we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Did you know that's the scripture that got me saved? A minister in the pulpit, first time I ever heard the word preached, the man had tears running out of his eyes. He was a gentle, tearful type man, preaching the gospel to the poor. And he said, and with his stripes we are healed. That's looking back to the cross. Now let's look at what's already done. In 1 Peter 2.24, let me read this. Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the cross, that we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. Looking back to the cross. Now according to the Bible, this preacher said, in Isaiah we looked forward to the cross. In Peter, in the New Testament, we look back to the cross, but regardless of which way we look, by his stripes we are already healed. 
I heard a man get up one day and he said that the Lord appeared to him and told him to find a cure for cancer. <laughs> That's a lie. God can't contradict himself. If God's the healer, which he is, why does he need man to find a cure for cancer when he is the cure? Jesus Christ is the healer. He healed me of terminal cancer 33 years ago. I was a terminal cancer patient. And when I heard these words, within four days I was healed. The cancers left my body. And I will tell you and show you evidence. I mean x-ray evidence of how God healed me of terminal cancer. Do you really know what the cause of cancer is? We've got Bible for it. In the book of Corinthians, it said that if a root of bitterness springs up within you, it will eat as the a canker. And most cancer patients have a very bitter spirit, a root of bitterness. I was a very bitter man for quite a few years before I was converted. But when the right minister came along and explained this to me, God healed me saved my soul, and has thus far added 33 years to my life, in which I use that 33 years to minister to God's people and to bring good tidings to you. Good tidings. Without begging and without selling anything, God, when he sends a true minister out to minister his word, they don't have to sell anything. They don't have to beg for money. God supplies it all. Remember that now, folks. I'm setting you free today, if you'll hear it. Let's go a little further. It said, and with his stripes, you are healed. It's already done. All you have to do is ask him to heal you. You don't have to look for any cures. This is it right here. Isaiah 53, 5, and 2, 1 Peter 2, 24 is your healing Scripture. All you have to do is read it and without doubt believe it and you are already healed, saith the Lord. Mm -hmm. I believed it and I was healed. And I have documented proof. But it says here, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. The iniquity of every man, woman, and child on this earth was laid on Jesus Christ. It says he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shears. He was dumb, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of a people was he stricken. You see, Jesus paid it all, folks. He even paid for your sins. It's already paid for. And it's free. All you have to do is say, Jesus, forgive me. Lord, here am I. Take me as I am. Don't make a difference whether you're in your truck, milking your cows, <laughs> sitting on a stump, out in the timber somewhere, in your logging truck, on your tractor. Doesn't make any difference where you're at. In your front room, bedroom kitchen, bathroom. All you have to do is just start talking to the Lord and he'll talk back. And I'll tell you, you better felt and tell. 
You can feel it. I mean, we've got a God that we can feel. You can feel Jesus of Nazareth. You can feel that warmth and that love and that peace and the joy. Flood your soul when you mean business with him. Okay? Now, it would be some God if we couldn't feel him, wouldn't it? Mm -hmm. But you can feel God. I feel him right now. The hair of my flesh stands up in his presence. You'll find that in the book of Job. Said, and he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grieve. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, which is you. He shall prolong his days. <laughs> and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. In John, in the back of the Bible, it says, I would or I pray that you prosper, meaning you out there, and be in health even as your soul prospers. Folks, you start studying your Bibles now, your own Bible. Get you a good old King James Version of the Bible, a world or one of those, and start reading your Bible for yourself. Have your family gather around and have a family Bible study and a family discussion prayerfully, and then you will be, as your soul prospers, you will begin to prosper financially. That's the word of God. And you will also prosper in health, physically. That's the word of God. He will keep you. It says, he shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, meaning you. He will justify you, for he shall bear their iniquities. Jesus has already taken your iniquity away. It's already buried. All you have to do is just say, thanks, Lord, and move on and start reading and studying and praising God. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, meaning in the hereafter, because he hath poured out his soul unto death. He was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. Jesus has paid it all, folks. He did it all for you. Listen to this. In the 18th verse of the third chapter of 1 Peter, it says, For Christ also hath once suffered for sin, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. And in the 21st verse, it said, The like figure whereunto even baptism, water baptism, doth also now save us. Not the putting away of the filth of flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is on the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. Isn't that something? It says, for this cause was the gospel preached and is preached today. Also to them that are dead. Jesus went into the nether parts of the earth and preached unto the then dead as they were men. Preached unto those spirits as they were men. It says that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the spirit. It says, but the end of all things is at hand. Be thee therefore sober and watch unto prayer. And above all things, have fervent charity or love among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. And he also says, use hospitality one toward the other 
without grudging. Folks, I see my time is just about gone again, but I want to thank you for being with me today. I want to thank you for listening and watching, and I want to ask God's blessing upon you, your family, you as individuals, and I'd like for you all to pray for me. You that know how to pray, would you pray for me? Pray that God will have free course and that many, many souls will be won from now on because the end is about here and we need all we can get into glory. God bless you very much now and goodbye for now. And that was our wonderful friend, Brother Bob. Wasn't that awesome? To hear the truth of God's word, plain and simple, how to live by faith in very straightforward terms. I love hearing him teach and minister. And um, as you heard, faith changes everything. You also heard him mention that he'd like to hear from you. Well, Brother Bob's been been with the Lord. He went on and received his eternal reward for all of his labor during this life. And so we make that same commitment to you today. All you need to do is go to getyourloveon.org. We have a contact tab. You can reach out with prayer requests. You can reach out with questions. You can reach out with, um, you know, I'd like to know more about this. Whatever you need, as he said, we'll do everything we can to help you draw closer to God and receive that eternal reward for your life as well. Now, as awesome as that was, we heard faith changes everything. So now we're going to learn from his wife. Her name's Carol about big faith, life-saving, life-altering faith. And she's also lived a life of faith with Brother Bob, and because of that, has an excellent report with God. And wouldn't we all want that? To say we have a good report with God? Well, it is through faith that we get that. So here is her message today. It's called A Good Report Through Faith. So good to have you all gathered in today. We're going to go directly to the 11th chapter of Hebrews, which is, of course, the faith chapter of the Bible. And I've titled this message, A Good Report Through Faith. Let's start in verse 1. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Now, notice in front of the word faith there, there's a three-letter word. It says, now. If you take the word now out of that sentence, it's just dead faith. It doesn't have an application to our lives right now. And if we're going to use faith in our life, we have to have faith in the now, not out in the future, not out in the past. Right now is when it becomes the most effective. We're going to use it today. So put that now word in and it means instant. Right now, we're going to use our faith. Now this verse becomes alive. And look what it says. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for the evidence of things not seen. Now let's decipher this a little closer. The word substance in the Greeks means this, support. You could say faith is the support of things hoped for. Faith is a setting under of things hoped for, or faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Faith is the essence of things hoped for, and faith is the confidence of things hoped for. That, those are all Greek meanings for the word substance. Yeah, faith is the confidence of things hoped for. That spells it out pretty clearly, doesn't it? With faith, 
belief in God and all his works and all his ways, we get confidence. And that's what we're going to exerting and exhibiting before God today. So there's an expanded meaning. Now, let's look at the word evidence, the evidence of things not seen. What is that? Well, in the Greek, it means the demonstration of things not seen, the manifestation of things not seen. Faith, though it's invisible, has its own manifestation before God. Isn't that interesting? Though you can't see it, it's not tangible. It has, it's a manifestation before God that only God understands. Here's another meaning of evidence. The indication. Faith is an indication of things not seen yet. The evidence of things not seen, the unfolding of things not seen. Did you know that when we send our faith out to God, things already start to unfold on our behalf? They're starting to unfold just because we got fire in our belly today. The faith is, uh, the evidence is also called the affirmation of things not seen. Why? Because faith affirms itself before God. The aff an affirmation is strong. It's absolutely solid about what we believe. So there's an affirmation there. And then faith is the representation. Spiritually, our faith is already a representation before God of what's to come, of whatever we desire, of whatever we hope for. Because it's the evidence of things not seen. It's the representation of things not seen. There's a representation before God in the heavenlies, in the invisible, but it's before the throne. Now, isn't that incredible? Mm -hmm. And then faith is the preview. We're getting a preview today of oncoming victories. Now, isn't that incredible? It just makes, see, the Greek, if you're able to uh, expound on the word meanings here, it really just opens up what this, this verse means. All right, let's go on and read. For by it, what faith? By faith, the elders obtained a good report. Mm -hmm. Good report from who? From God and all the unseen witnesses, the cloud of witnesses that were already there before the throne. Verse 3, through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. Now, what does that mean? Things which do appear aren't tangible. Things which do appear, things that aren't exactly tangible in front of us. That's what that means. It doesn't appear to our, our naked eye. But nevertheless, it appears before God in the invisible. So the things he did aren't even made of the things that we see in front of us. Not, they're not, they weren't made of natural things. He just spoke and it became. And that's where we are in our faith before God. We just speak it and we just believe it. And it happens. By faith, verse 4, by faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. Remember, they were the first two children of Adam and Eve. One was holy and righteous before God. The other one was pure evil. He was a murderer. When only four people existed on earth, one quarter, 25% of them were already murderers. When Adam and Eve transgressed, sin entered into the world. And it came thick and fast after that. But Abel, let's find out about Abel's offering here because it absolutely pleased God. God called it an excellent sacrifice. Mm -hmm. He offered a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness 
that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead yet speaketh. I'll let you check that out in Genesis. Yeah, didn't he offer a lamb before God? Yeah, that was a type of Christ, the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. God recognized it. He knew, God knew it was a type of Christ. The other one, Cain offered the fruits of the ground, and it just didn't impress the Lord. So that was an interesting outcome there. But verse 5, By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death. What does that mean? Translated, he was just taken. He had no burial. He didn't die and go into the ground. He wasn't burial. He didn't go into burial. He was just taken, just lifted up. Here's what translated means. Transferred over. Transported. Changed sides. From the earthly to the heavenly. Uh -huh. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed, Paul said, didn't he? Yeah. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, and the dead in Christ shall be raised first, and we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall meet the Lord, rise and meet the Lord in the air, ever to be with the Lord. That's our translation. We're waiting for it. If we're alive when the Lord comes, we'll be instantly translated. We won't go through a natural death or a natural burial. By the way, cremation is out. You don't want to present, be presented before God with a burnt, just a bunch of burnt ashes. Don't do that, please. Cremation is not holy. It's not of God. Everybody that was wicked in the Old Testament was burned with fire. Or not everybody, but many, many of them were burned with fire because of their wickedness. And you don't want to be presented before God just a bunch of ashes. Because God says he's going to change our vile body. And he wants it preserved in the ground, waiting for our resurrection. That's a different topic. But Enoch was translated. He changed sides. And another meaning is he was carried over and removed from this earth to a better place, to a heavenly. Mm -hmm. Isn't that something? And was not found. Enoch couldn't be found. He no place to, because he was gone. Because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. Yeah, it's simple. It's so simple. And I know you, you all please God here. I know it. I feel it. It's intense today. Let's go on to verse 6. This is interesting. But without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. If you're diligent about something, you're always attending to it. You work at it. You're up and going. You don't just uh, slide back and let it go. Mm -hmm. You're diligent. You're attending upon that very thing continually. Yeah, faithfulness has a lot to do with that. He's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. That in the Greek, that means to, you diligently search out, you crave. How do you get rewarded by God? You have to crave him. Above anything else, above anything or anyone else, you search him out, you crave him, you seek him, you demand him. Mm -hmm. Isaiah said we could do it. Concerning the works of my hands, command ye me. How about that? And diligently seek also means to worship him. Jesus talked to the woman at the well. 
and said that the true believers would worship him, what, in spirit and in truth. That's what we searched the land for until we found you. And you're willing to do it to this day. So that's what diligently seeking means. By faith Noah, we're in verse 7, by faith Noah being warned of God, of things not seen as yet, moved with fear. This is a godly fear, a, a perfect reverence for God. It isn't, when we, say, we use the word fear here, it's not a tormenting fear. Now there's two kinds of fear. There's natural fear, which is torment. That's not what we're talking about here. A godly fear, a clean, holy fear, a reverence, a great reverence for God. That's what he was moved with, the godly fear. He prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world. Now, get this. This is really something. One man in Noah's time, named Noah, condemned the whole entire world by building that ark and allowing the flood to come, and eight souls were saved as by water. God started the whole world over, on the account of one man's obedience. And because it was so incredible, Noah condemned the world. Didn't say God condemned the world, said Noah did it. Why? Because he obeyed and built that ark and got, got in on it. He got his family in on it and then said, and the Lord shut the door. And then the rains came, 40 days and 40 nights. And he flooded the entire world, wiped the whole entire population of this globe out for the benefit of eight souls. That was their, that was their water baptism, floating on that sea of wickedness. That was their water baptism. But by this righteous deed, he condemned Noah, condemned the entire world of his time. You talk about a great man of faith. And because of it, it says, and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. He became the heir to that. God started all over with Noah. Mm -hmm. So let's take on his characteristics and be like him. Borrow from him. Say, Noah, I'm going to be like you. Get to know all of these Old Testament personalities until they're absolutely incorporated inside of you. And you can manifest through, did you know that through the Holy Ghost, you can manifest their personalities? That's why we're learning about this today, so you can take on and manifest their personalities. Yeah, through the Holy Ghost, you're unlimited. You can borrow from any one of these guys. All right, let's go to Abraham. By faith, verse 8, by faith, Abraham was called to go out into a place which he should afterward receive for an inheritance, obeyed, and he went out, not knowing whether he went. Did you know that that's how Bob's and my ministry started out? Absolutely nothing, just a broken down station wagon, a few pots and pans in the back, and we went out just driving along the road, not knowing whether we went. But God had put that vision in our heart of a perfected people, a people who would, like you, sitting here that would obey God and walk in all the knowledge of God and take on all the gifts of the Spirit and all the fruits of the Spirit and be that, be, be that perfect bride. We were after God's perfect bride. And we just drove down the road seeking you, not knowing whether we went, just like Abraham, not knowing whether he, he went, but intent upon it and just impelled to get up and go. He would get me up early. We'd drive 12 hours down that highway and say, get up early. We're, we're, we're going to head to this next town and just see. And we would stop at these towns along the way. And, and the Lord said, whatever town you enter, inquire in who is worthy. That's what the Lord did when he first sent out his first disciples. Go into these towns, inquire in it who is worthy. 
And if the house be worthy, let your peace come upon it. Enter in, preach my gospel. If, if, you're, if it be worthy, let your peace come upon it. If it be not worthy, leave and shake the very dust of your feet off against that city as a testimony against it. And that's what we did. Not knowing whether... This is how it started out, though. Very humbly. And it was just Bob and I. So I, I've lived this. See, I've taken on Abraham's faith as of a young one. I was only 25 when this was all going on. It started out when I was 25. I met him when I was 22. And we began our journey together across the land when I was 25. So I have believed and been like Abraham for a long, long time. So you've got you've to gotta get in here now and borrow from their characteristics, borrow from the faith they manifested, and you will do extremely well in life. There won't be anything, nothing will be impossible to you. You'll see. Let's go to verse 9. By faith, he sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country. Yeah, it was always strange. All the, the states we were in, always strange to us. We weren't citizens. We didn't feel like we were citizens of it. Yeah, because this world is not our, not our home. wasn't our home. We were just passing through to find you, just in time to find you, and then establish you, and then leave and go find others. So we were in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles, trailers in our case, with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise, for he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. See, he again, we weren't looking for a natural town to sort of settle down in. We were looking for that city up above which has foundations. Paul put it this way in 2 Corinthians 4.18. While we look not at the things which are seen, visible to the naked eye, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal. They're, not gonna, they're only there for a short It's only here for a short time. It's not going to last. But the things which are not seen with our naked eye are eternal. That's what we were looking for in you. We were looking for the eternity that dwells within each of you. And we sojourned many hours, many days, many months, and many years to find you and settle you. And here you are. A part of you is right here. Some are in other places across the land, and we're so thankful. Yeah. And remember we talked about foundations? Have we, have we got there yet? Maybe not quite. Okay, here it is in verse 10. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Well, what do we mean here about foundations? Okay, it's spiritual for one thing. And it's in the Greek, it means something put down, which, which was Christ. Christ was the chief cornerstone of the, of the building we're in today because our building is not natural, it's spiritual, isn't it? And Jesus, because we're fitly framed together and we grow un, unto a holy temple in the Lord. Spiritually speaking, you're the temple of God sitting here today. It's not visible to the naked eye, but it is a realization. It's there. It's something put down inside of you. Yeah, a substruction of a building... Paul said, we are God's, you are God's building. He said that to the saints. To place in the widest application in a horizontal posture. Well, the city up above that we read about in Revelations 21 is horizontal. It tells, the, even gives the measurements of it, doesn't it? When you're 
when you're in a foundation, you can settle on it and you can sink down in it because it'll hold you up. It's not quicksand. You know, a good foundation lasts forever. It will hold you up and the floods won't be able to destroy it. Nothing. It's just solid. Well, that's what, that's what Abraham realized. He was looking for that eternal city that hath foundations. Paul said, I have laid the foundation. Another buildeth thereon. He said, I've laid the foundation. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone of that foundation. And another buildeth thereon. But he said, let every man take heed how he builds thereon. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So he is our foundation. And Abraham knew this by the Spirit. He knew Jesus Christ was that foundation. And he looked for it and walked in it until he died. It, it was until he was taken up. It's just amazing. So what's the foundation that God has left us with today? Well, Jesus Christ, we know, is the chief cornerstone. But he also has left us apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. He calls it the five-fold ministry. And this forms the foundation that grows into an instru for instruction and for equipping, for perfecting of the saints, all of that. And, well, we'll read about it here in Ephesians 2, if you will. Verse 19 of Ephesians 2. Go there, please. He says, Now, therefore, you are no more. And Paul is talking about us, the saints, describing us in the Spirit. Now, therefore, you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation. Look at that keyword, foundation. Of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom also you are builded together. We're part of it, folks. For an habitation of God or dwelling place of God through the Spirit. How does this all come? Well, it has to be through the Spirit. There's no other way. Can't be through a religion. Can't be through atheism. They all fall into the ditch. The atheists all fall into the ditch because they're blind leading the blind. Okay, but we're built on another, that wonderful foundation. So he did. He, Abraham looked for a city with hath foundations whose builder and maker is God. Isaiah referred to this way before Christ, centuries before Christ was ever born. Isaiah prophesied of this in Isaiah 28, verse 16. He says, Therefore thus saith the Lord God, now, how sure is that? When you say, thus saith the Lord, you better be sure that you're saying it and not, you know, that it has substance with it and not just saying it to be saying it. The old prophets, when they opened their mouth and said, thus saith the Lord, the whole universe got quiet and still waiting to see what they were going to say because it, it came to pass. Everything the true prophets spoke of came to pass. Therefore, thus saith the Lord, behold, I lay in Zion, or the high place of God, for a foundation, a stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. And he that believeth shall not make haste. So go to Proverbs 10.25 with me. Here's uh, some prophecy of the events to come. As the whirlwind passeth, so is the wicked no more. But the righteous is an everlasting foundation. Your spirit will live on forever from God. So can the tribulations of this present time affect any affect your spiritual walk? No, because there's a bigger picture with all of it. 
Mm -hmm. As the whirlwind passeth, so is the wicked no more. Mm -hmm. Why? Because he's earthly, beast-like, and temporal. But the righteous is an everlasting foundation. See, our home's up there in the city of God. Go to Zechariah 8. talks more about that foundation. Then, in Zechariah's time, they were still building the temple, the, the uh, temple of the house of the Lord. They had a natural one to go by. And God was willing in those days to put up with that. But it was, again, it was just for a time. So Zechariah 8, starting in verse 9, Thus saith the Lord of hosts. Here's, what, here's encouragement for us, even today. Let your hands be strong, you that hear in these days these words by the mouth of the prophets, which were in the day that the foundation of the house of the Lord of hosts was laid, that the temple might be built. So see, again, there's re repetition here that before any temple, spiritual or otherwise, can be built, there has to be a proper foundation, or it just doesn't last. We're doing this today. Our temple is not made with hands. It's eternal in the heavens, God says. For be verse 10, For before these days there was no hire for man, nor any hire for beast, neither was there peace to him that went out or came in because of the affliction. Well, remember, Israel went into captivity under Nebuchadnezzar, into the land of the Chaldeans and the Babylonians. And she was there 70 years. And that's what the reference is here. Those were great days of affliction. He said, I set every ma all men, everyone against his neighbor. We're in a time like that right now. That's why we have to be so full of the Lord. Verse 11, But now I will not be unto the residue of this people as in the former days, saith the Lord of hosts. Here's what we've Here's what you have it now coming as saints of God. For the seed shall be prosperous. I'm expecting that continually for each one of us. The vine shall give her fruit, and the ground shall give her increase, and the heavens shall give their due. And I will cause the remnant of this people to possess all these things. You can confirm this with Daniel 7, verse 18, and also verse 27 in Daniel. Mm -hmm. The people of the saints of the Most High shall possess their possessions. And they shall possess the kingdom forever and forever. Now, does that sound like it's eternal or not? Kind of sounds like it's, it's going to keep going on to me. Doesn't sound like there's any, any quitting or any end to that. If you're going on with God forever and you're going to possess the kingdom forever and forever and forever, uh, eternity is a long time, folks, and you're in it. Count on that. Love you for it. Verse 13, and it shall come to pass as, as that, that as you were a curse among the heathen, O house of Judah and house of Israel, so will I save you, and you shall be a blessing. He says, fear not, but let your hands be strong. Allow it. In other words, let your hands be strong. See, we have to let it happen. doesn't fall out of the sky on its own. <laughs> all right, let's go to Luke. And Jesus reiterated all this about a proper foundation. Luke 6, and start in verse 47 with me. Don't mind me, but I just get excited about God's word. <laughs> All right, verse 47, he says, Whosoever cometh to me, and heareth my sayings, and doeth them. We're, we're talking about hearing and doing. Hear, heareth my sayings, and doeth them. I will show you to whom he is like. He is like a man which built an house, and digged deep, and laid the foundation on a rock. And when the flood arose, 
The stream beat vehemently upon that house and could not shake it, for it was founded upon a rock. And of course, he's referring to himself. He's using a parable here that they could understand because he was in a mixed multitude. Yeah, believers and non-believers. So he had to use a parable, things, something that um, people could understand readily, for it was founded upon a rock. And we just talked about how we are founded on that rock, Christ Jesus. Okay, on the converse, but he that heareth and doeth not, he is like a man which without a foundation built a house upon the earth. In other words, just his own works. Against which the stream did beat vehemently, and immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Well, he's talking about eternal things here. Jesus said, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. So the ruin of that house was great. So if we're only built on temporal things, it's going to perish. That's the doom of it. That's the end result of it. It's temporal things will perish and be destroyed because they're temporal. But eternal things can never be removed, can never be destroyed. Like I said, you're never going to die. We are not built to die. We're never going to die spiritually. All right, go to, to 1 Corinthians 3, and we'll start in verse 10. And Paul says, according to the grace of God, which is given unto me. Now notice the humility here. He says, I didn't do this by myself. He says, according to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder. Now remember, he was the apostle to the Gentiles. He was sent out to bring the true gospel and the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ to the Gentile world, which hitherto had not heard or known about not even Jewish law. They didn't even know the first, the Old Testament or the Jewish law. They didn't have anything. So grace of God was given unto me as a wise master builder. I have laid the foundation. Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. The good news. And another buildeth thereon. Because God does give ministry, different ministries and different gifts. Others were becoming apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers also. And there was never any what they call a lay congregation. The lay people. That was never even, you don't even find that in the New Testament. Everyone was a participant. That's where they get it. These churches get it wrong. They have the big preacher standing up there with a the big black robe, and then they have the lay people out there. That, that's not how the early church ran. Every saint was a participant. Every saint was valued. We're all valuable. We're all equal in the eyes of God. So he says, I've laid the foundation, and another, another buildeth thereon. Well, he was expecting that. But he said, let every man take heed how he buildeth thereon. In other words, he said, you better do it right. You leaders, if you're leading it, you better do it right. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones. Now, those first three, you can put them through the fire and they will endure. They come out even greater. They're purified. So gold, silver, and precious stones, you put them through the fire, they come out great, greater and greater even more beautiful than before. But wood, hay, and stubble, well, uh, they get pretty well burnt up. You'd be lucky if you found a few ashes by the time they're done. The Lord is done with that. And he's talking about people who just walk in the natural is wood, hay, and stubble. If you don't have his spirit, you're just wood, hay, and stubble. But if we have his spirit and we go, we're allowing God to put us through the fiery trials to purge us, we come out as gold, silver, and precious stones in his sight. So let's allow that. Allow that work. Allow that work of God. 
Paul says, every man's work shall be made manifest. Yeah. When? When the day he comes, the brightness of his coming is going to show who's who and what's what. He says, for the day shall declare it because it shall be revealed by fire. For the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. Daniel, over in, verse, uh, over in Daniel 12, verse 10, Daniel says this, Many shall be purified and made white and tried, but the wicked shall do wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise <coughs> shall understand. Now the word tried, let's look into the Greek meaning here. When something is tried, like a metal, it's tested and approved through testing, properly acceptable, current through after a sale. So, does your faith get tried? Well, yes. Does it get a little hot at times? Hey, just stand steady, steady in, the, in the furnace of fire. You'll come out, how? As pure gold. And Peter will prove this later on for us. So you're properly acceptable then, current, valuable in the here and now, after a sale, and approved. So that's what tried means. So Daniel said many, this is he prophesied in the last days, many will be purified, made white, and tried. Let's go to, to James here, James 1.12. He says this, blessed is the man or woman that endureth temptation. Oh, we have to endure a little trial, do we? Do we now? That's fine. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. For when he is tried, oh, here comes that word again. When he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Can we endure tryings and trials? Can we endure it? Uh, go to Revelations chapter 3 now. And go down to verse 18. Fire in the Greek means specifically lightning or very fiery. So we're in Revelations now. Revelations 3, 18. I counsel thee. This is the Lord talking to a church. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire. In other words, uh-huh. You're you're, everyone's faith is tried. If it isn't, it's not made perfect yet. It's too new. It, it's, uh, it's unproven faith. The Lord loves to see us proven. He wants us proven or coming, uh, acceptable after a sale, going through the fire. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. And anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. Now this church was lacking. They were actually backslidden. This is a Laodicean church and they were backslidden. They hadn't lived up to the elements of their faith like they should have. And God was, the Lord was chastising them. But he told them the remedy. He said, buy of me gold tried in the fire. And then come out proven and you'll, you'll be spiritually rich. So that's what he wanted the, the Laodiceans to do. We also, so we need to have some endurance and some tryings in our life. Don't be afraid of them when they come. Allow God those trials to whatever degree. Mm -hmm. Some are more, tried more, some are less, but it's all valuable to God. 
Now we're going to deal with the word, re and we have to endure reproaches as well. What does the word reproach mean? Let's look at it in Hebrews 13, 12 to 16. Wherefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. Now, you know, in the Old Testament, the refuse was done outside the gate. And that's what this is talking about here. Jesus was accounted for, he was absolute refuse to the whole Jewish system in that day. They did not receive him. They did not accept him. They hated him and they murdered him, so to speak. That's what this is talking about here. He suffered without the gate. He was not accepted according to the Jewish ways of doing things, their laws and of sacrifice. And everything. But he was certainly a pure sacrifice, wasn't he? But he was as refuse. Verse 13, let us go forth therefore unto him without the camp. The true spirit of the Lord is not accepted in the old Jewish system and their sacrificial laws and their ways of doing it. We're just not. But so because of that, it says we are bearing his reproach. Yes, we are. We're bearing his reproach today, even among the ungodly. It's no fun to go through reproach. However, we're not to fear it because it does build endurance in us too. Remember we were talking about endurance? Endure, by the way, the word endured, and we're just going to skip down to Hebrews 11, verse 27. Here's, it's talking about Moses. Here's the kind of faith he had. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Now, to endure in the Greek means to bear or carry in a wide application. More on endurance here. Hebrews 6, verse 13. For when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself. In verse 14, he says, saying, Surely, he's talking to Abraham, Surely, blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. So And so, after he had patiently endured, Abraham had Abraham had to very patiently endured. He obtained the promise. He waited 25 years on a son. Yeah, and he was as good as dead when the son was born because he was 100 years old when uh, Isaac was born. 100. Yeah, he could barely stand up. Yet a son was born to him. See how God can do the impossible? But because of Abraham's endurance, he obtained the promise. Mm -hmm. There's things I've been waiting for for 25 years. I've caught up, I, I told, reminded the Lord the other day, I've caught up with Abraham. Now you better get at that little chore because I've been waiting 25 years for some things. Are you willing to wait to any of you out there waiting to wait? Some of you probably have. I just haven't heard your story. So if you think you've got to endure like a few months or a few weeks, you haven't endured anything yet. Just put it into perspective here. I think you could maybe go there. Maybe you won't have to. But, uh... Does it sound like a little patience as it has to come in here? I think so. So the word endured means this in the Greek, to undergo or bear trials. Are you willing? Are you, if you have the Spirit of God in you, you will be willing to do this for him and to grow in the Spirit and become a true son or daughter of God. Uh, endured also means to have fortitude. You build yourself up and you, you bear through and you're going to go through it regardless. Whatever, whatever test or whatever path the Lord has for you, that's endurance. It also means to preserve yourself in, in, in it and to stay under, to stay under subjection to the Spirit at all times. 
Isn't that wonderful? Not asserting your own self-will. Be willing to endure and bear and be under the Lord and under his leadership and under his elders as they instruct you, righteously so. If you're new to the faith, this is, this is very becoming if you're willing to do this. Many like to come for the fishes and the loaves. They just like to hear a good word of faith and, oh, whoop to do I'm going to go. And then they don't endure and you, know, you don't see them a month later. Well, that's not, what the Lord, that's not what the Lord wants here. He wants people who can endure and be soldiers for him. He told, Paul told Timothy, endure hardness as a good soldier. Then you've got some quality. Then you've got some depth to your faith. You're not a novice anymore. So let's move on. Mm -hmm. Let's allow ourselves to be totally perfected. So, and patience does come in with all of this. Go to Hebrews 12. Verse 1, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Now, what's that cloud of witnesses? All the, all the saints that have gone on before are part of that new Jerusalem God described in Revelations, and they are known as the cloud of witnesses. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all those guys, all those people of the Old Testament that have gone up to be with the Lord and perfect, are perfected, they're watching us. They're surrounding us even now as we're sitting here. So we're compassed about with them in the invisible. If your eyes were open spiritually, you'd see them now because they're here. Love it. Let us, so because of this, he says, let, let us lay aside every weight. If something's a weight in your spiritual life, cast it aside. Get rid of it. Runners can't wear heavy shoes. They won't win the race. Or they're, maybe their shorts are too heavy. They've got too much stuff in their pockets. they got to unload. If they're going to cross that finish line and be number one, they got to run with real light shorts, light shoes, everything lightened. Lighten the ship. And then they'll win the race. That's what he's talking about here. Lay aside every weight. And you let the Lord show you if there's, any, if there's a weight in your life that's unnecessary. We are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so we lay that too he says lay the sin the sin which doth so easily beset us yeah gotta lay that aside too that comes through prayer through determination through more knowledge of the word knowing how to walk before the lord it'll all come in time for those of you who are relatively new this will all come as you're diligent and he says and let us run with patience the race that is set before us well what's patience it's, in the Greek, it's ch being cheerful or hopeful the whole while. Oh, it's having endurance and it's having constancy, sticking with it, never, never uh, vacillating or giving up. And it means continuing to continue, waiting. Did you know that most things... That, that are accomplished for God, 90% of it is waiting, and the 10% is action, the action that God produces from your waiting. That's, that's, that's the ministry in a nutshell right there. Most of the time, if you were with me, it would be very boring because all I do is wait. I'm not very interesting in the back room, but you, it would be very interesting with what goes on between me and God, <laughs> if you could get in on it. See, that's the interesting part. And then God does all the rest. He does the performance, and that's the 10%. So learn that. If you were waiting on God, you're a smart puppy. All right, let's go on. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. So he's both the author of it 
And he's the finisher of it. We got that confidence that he'll do it. Who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. What do you think that joy was that was set before him, that he'd be willing to go and hang on that cross and endure absolute agony? What could, what could possibly be that joy? Well, I guess what? It was all of you that he saw in the spirit thousands of years before. That's what gave him the joy to endure that cross. He had a vision of you. Way before the foundation of the world, he knew you. You talk about enablement from God, the Father there. That was, that's what made, caused him. He was so strengthened by it, seeing you way ahead of time, that he was able to endure that cross, shed his blood, despising the shame of it. And he could, he would rightfully, very righteously despise the shame because he was a great dignity before God. The greatest dignity that the universe has ever known hung on that cross. No wonder he could righteously despise the shame of it. You bet. He did it with dignity. And here's the result. He was set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Isn't that wonderful? For consider him. That's what we're doing now. We're considering the Lord. Consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. Some of you get strong contradiction. Well, he endured it. So can you. If you've got devils crying out against you, speaking their own, say, just hold your peace, devil, while I'm here. When I leave, you can yell all you want. But while I'm here, you, you hold your peace. In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you. Try that and see what happens. You got the authority. You don't have to have them crying out against you. Jesus said, hold your peace. See, there's real encouragement here for us as saints. He said, you have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. Any of you been hit and had a black eye and bled for it? And as he says here, and you've forgotten the exhortation, which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. Things just all of a sudden come up and upset you a little bit. Just get your balance. Lord, give me my balance. Give me my footing. Don't let me be upset by any, any occurrence that I may not even understand fully yet. So, Lord, give me understanding in all things and just set me, set my feet upon my goings properly. But chastening, and he talks here about don't despise the, the chastening of the Lord. That means uh, literally in the Greek it means to be whipped. Now, there's, you know, there's more than one way to be whipped. The Lord has to whoop you a little bit. He's just, he usually does it very, um, through the spirit, through instruction, through sometimes through sharp rebuke, flog. It can be either physically or it can be through, again, the Lord's sharp rebuke. No, don't do that. The Lord will, he'll guide you. He'll kind of whip you into shape. And he'll do it through the spirit so that you can comprehend and you can adjust yourself. Well, that's all part of chastening. To strike, he'll strike you at times like, ooh, something will hit you like a blow. Well, you know, David in the psalm said, I'm consumed by the blow of thine hand. David had severe chastening in his life. Well, you know, we're, we're not uh, tissue paper. We can endure. We can handle it. Oh, yeah, because what it brings afterwards is just colossal. It's just wonderful. It's also, uh, chastening is also a discipline, a, measure, a way of God disciplining us. He can do that in many ways through giving us his word, sharp rebuke, maybe through an elder, maybe directly through his word. Um, 
you know, just kind of batting us till we get into place. Correction. Correction is another word. He will often correct us. So don't be surprised. Whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. So that's part and parcel of being a saint in the Lord, one who endures, a grown-up. It quickly makes you into a real grown-up, strong soldier, strong warrior. Don't we want to be warriors? We don't want to be wimps. Yeah, you got to be strong and endure. So that's what God is bringing us into, full-grown men and women in Christ with some muscle, some spiritual muscle, not all wimped out in front of the devil. We have all, all of this, this availability in the Spirit before the Lord. Uh, we're going to go a little bit into Romans 4, if you'll turn there, and we're going to talk about the righteousness of faith. That's another characteristic of what real faith is. It's With it, it brings righteousness. So Romans 4, and we're going to go to verse 13. For the promise that he should be heir of the world, now he's speaking of Abraham, that he should be heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law. It didn't come through the law to Abraham because the law wasn't even in existence yet. God just spoke directly to Abraham as a friend and dealt with him as a servant and as a friend. It was just beautiful. So it didn't come, he says, let me read the verse again. For the promise that he, Abraham, should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. That's the only way it came. For if they which are of the law be heirs, now we're talking Old Testament people under the Old Testament law, under Moses, said if they were, were heirs, faith is made void. Isn't that interesting? And the promise made of none effect. In other words, if they obtained righteousness just through obeying the law alone, he said, then faith is, faith is just made void. It, all came, it would all come through works, and God just wasn't impressed. So the law couldn't, couldn't uh, bring that effect. The promise was made of none effect then. Because the law, and he explains why here, because the law worketh wrath. Remember when Moses brought the Ten Commandments down off the mount? As he came down, guess what he saw in front of him? That little camp that had just come out of Egypt. They were sitting down to eat and drink and rose up to play and said, let us make us a calf and go back to Egypt. As for this Moses, we know not what has become of him. He'd only been gone 40 days and they were already, oh, they completely dismissed him out of their minds. They were so unwieldy, so unsettled. God called them children of no faith. And it made Moses so angry he just threw those commandments down the first time, he had that, and he had to go back up. He threw those commandments down, and he just he got some men to destroy those people uh, that had made this big havoc, this big mess in camp. They had taken and melted gold down and made a, a calf, and having this celebration and everything was awful. It was just wretched. Do you know how many people died that day? About 3,000 of them died under Mount Sinai. That's the law. When the Pentecostal experience came in the day of Pentecost in the upper room and Peter preached that gospel and they said, men and brethren, what shall we do? 3,000 people were baptized that day. Which, you want to be under the Old Testament, you want to be under the New. One was under the law, one was under grace. Where do you want to be, under the law or under grace? Under the law was death. Because if you disobeyed those Ten Commandments, you were stoned. You died under two or three witnesses. But under grace... 3,000 people were baptized that day. 
Grace, I think, is preferred. So that's what, that's what Paul is saying here. Because the law worketh wrath. For where no law is, there is no transgression. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be by grace. To the end, the promise might be sure to all the seed. Not to that only which is of the law. If they believed in Christ, they could be accepted. But to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Jesus loved Abraham so much, he said, before Abraham was, I am. And he said, Abraham rejoiced to see my day and saw it and was glad. And they, when he said that to the Pharisees, the Sadducees, they hated him for it. He said, you're not even 50 years old. Have you seen Abraham? He said, before Abraham was, I am. And then they took up stones to stone him. So it was really, you know, they couldn't receive because it wasn't, a, they didn't have that spirit of faith. Their eyes and, and everything were blinded and closed. Yet Jesus came to his own and his own received him not. But as, to as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. That's you and me. Some of us have taken advantage of that power and decided to possess it. That's verse 17. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations. Before him whom he believed. This is speaking of Abraham. I'm descri we're describing the faith of Abraham. It's very rich and particular, and I want you to get it. Before him whom he believed, even God, who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they were. That's what faith does, folks. Maybe it isn't visible in front of you yet. You know, it's as if it wasn't. It isn't. But you call it as if it was. Calleth those things which be not, they're not here yet, as though they were already here. That's faith. And that's the kind of faith Abraham had. He waited 25 years for that son to be born, and he was 100 years old when he was born and Sarah was about 90. She was past the age for having children. They believed God, who, let me describe it here in verse 18, who against hope believed in hope. It was against hope to have, I mean, she was past the age. He was old and there wasn't much going on. Let's put it that way. But against hope, they believed in hope. He believed in just hope. He just believed in hope. That he might become the father of many nations. According to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. He believed those promises of God. God said, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. And look at this. Here's another description of him in verse 19. And being not weak in faith, he wasn't weak in faith, he considered now not his own body now dead when he was about a hundred years old. Neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He didn't consider that. He didn't look at it that way. He just said, well, God said it, and I believe it, and it's going to happen. Pure faith. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief. Now, the word staggers means he, he didn't withdraw from it. He didn't hesitate over it. He didn't doubt God. All of this is the meaning of staggered not. He didn't doubt God. He didn't waver in his faith. And he didn't avoid the promise of God by any particular reason of his own. That's all the description of staggered not. He didn't stagger. He didn't bend. He didn't bow. And he didn't burn. That would be more preferable to Daniel and his bunch. They didn't bend. They didn't bow. And they didn't burn. Mm -hmm. There's a song that goes like that. It's cool.
He staggered not. He didn't withdraw from, he didn't hesitate, he didn't doubt it, he didn't waver from it, and he didn't avoid anything for any particular excuse or reason. Just believe God. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief. What's unbelief? Faithlessness, disbelief, lack of Christian faith, unfaithfulness. He did not waver, but was strong in faith. That means in the Greek, empowered and increased in strength. Every time we believe God, we're increased in strength, folks. Strong in faith, giving glory to God. What does that mean in the Greek? Giving dignity, honor, praise, and worship to God. And glory, giving glory to God. Strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. Now, Abraham was fully persuaded. What does that mean in the Greek? It means he, he realized that God could ca fully carry this all out. He was completely assured and convinced of it. He knew that God would entirely accomplish it. He most surely believed. He fully knew, and he knew God would make full proof of what he had was believing for. He was wearing his faith as clothing or, a const or constant accomplishment. Faith is like a clothing. You wear it. Mm -hmm. Isn't that something? Yeah, being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. In the Greek, the word able means he was powerful also to perform. He was capable. Think God's capable of performing anything we ask? Of course he is. He knew that God would it would it would be possible with God. Jesus even said, with God, all things are possible. That's part of the word able. And then be of power is another phrase in the Greek. So God is of power to make these things perform. Able also to perform. In the Greek, to make or do in a very wide application, to execute, to accomplish deeds. Exact. God is exact. And All right, so what's the result of all of this great faith he had in verse 22? And therefore, it was imputed to him for righteousness. So is it to each of us. And the word imputed means estimated by God. God concludes it that you're, all, that you're righteous sitting here today. God reckons it. He reckons you for, as being righteous. Something said, including the thought. God's speaking this of all of you today. You're righteous, you're righteous. And all the angels are just echoing it. All that cloud of unseen witnesses are jumping up and down for joy because they're rejoicing at your righteousness today and mine. That's the, what's imputed to us. And it causes excitement in glory above. Yeah, it causes great excitement. All right, verse 24. But for, uh, so, uh, verse 23. But it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but for us also to whom it shall be imputed, estimated, concluded, reckoned, something said about us. And to us also to whom it shall be imputed, if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead. And we do. We believe it. Who was delivered for our offenses and raised again for our justification. Do you know what offenses are? A side slip, a lapse or deviation, transgression, unintentional error or willful transgression. Could be either one. 
fault, sin, or trespass. So all of our, whatever offense we may have committed in days past, it's all gone. It's all buried. Jesus, the Lord, through water baptism, he's removed it as far as from the east is from the west. Mm -hmm. Never to be remembered. And so why should you ever bring it up? Don't. Unless you need some specific thing for, as an object lesson to someone else when you're teaching them, you can give it in mention and God will understand that. But don't be harping on it and dwelling on it. Oh, I was just such a bad person in the past. God doesn't remember that. Why would you? So please don't, don't ever do that. One more verse here. Who was delivered for our offenses and raised again for our justification. Here's what we get. We're did you know you're justified? Acquittal for Christ's sake, to render, to show or regard as just or innocent. Always believe that about yourself. I'm just and I'm innocent. I have no record except the one I have daily in the Lord, which is beautiful and righteous. You're free. That's another, free is another word for justification. You can say, I'm free, devil. Get lost. Flush him down the toilet if you have to. Mm -hmm. Jesus put it this way. Get behind me, Satan. You're an offense unto me. That's what he, he did it. And justification means you're righteous. Always know that. If the accuser comes and, you know, speaks or whispers in against you or talks against you, say, I'm just. I'm righteous. God has acquitted me. I have low... Christ's justification. And you can just get into Romans here and quote this verse back. Who was he was delivered for my past offenses and raised again for my justification. <laughs> the Lord bless you greatly. It was a joy to, to encourage your faith today and bring this to you. Lord bless your days and your week, your months and your years. And that was our wonderful friend, Carol. As you could hear, just incredibly strengthening exhortation on how to build our faith, how to get that good report with God through great faith, and then also how to make sure that that means that Satan can't talk to us, he can't diminish us, he can't put us down, or try to convince us that our God isn't working for us perfectly, because God always does. He always comes through. And she also mentioned about water baptism and how that is the key to the infilling of the Holy Spirit, to getting the remission of sins, to getting that that past washed away and walking in the newness of life every day. Well, if you'd like to learn more about water baptism, please go to getyourloveon.org. We have beautiful Bible studies and teachings. We have YouTube videos and, of course, show archives. You can certainly do your research and, and fill your... Um, Fill that tank full of the faith. And then also, if you'd like to get baptized, if you say, okay, this, Lord, I know I want this, reach out to us. Click the contact tab, send us a note, say, I need some help. I'm not sure how to get this done. We will help you. We will do everything we can to make sure that, um, that the Lord blesses you mightily through all things. So thank you so much for being here. Since we spent the last two hours getting our love on, let's make sure we keep our love on. Hope you enjoyed today's show. Hope we can all stand in great faith, help one another, continue to stand in great faith. And of course, that also means those strong rejections of any doubt or fear. Lord bless your week. That doesn't mean it's wrong. I keep my love on. If I were you, 